Welcome to the Sound of Goshen, brought to you by the Goshen Chamber of Commerce and your community health system, Goshen Health. Get started on your own path to living vibrantly. The first step, Goshen Health. Visit livevibrantly.com. This week's podcast episode, Sound of the Economy. Welcome to the Sound of Goshen. Today's episode is Sound of the Economy, featuring Tim Doyle of Campbell and Fetter Bank. I'm your host, Vince Turner. Well, Tim, welcome to the podcast. We appreciate you being here. And I guess the first thing I do is just, you know, tell us a little bit about Campbell and Fetter. In, in this day of consolidation and merger, et cetera, Campbell and Fetter is one of those banks that stayed a neighborhood bank, a local bank, and, and one of those offices are here in Goshen. Yes, it is. Thanks, Vince. And thanks for inviting me here this afternoon. So Campbell and Fetter Bank was founded in 1863. Uh, our main office is in Kendallville, Indiana, in Noble County. And uh, we were founded by essentially the town father of Kendallville, William Mitchell. And he ran it with his uh, son for about 20 years. And then his grandson-in-law, Archie Campbell, and his business partner, Jacob Fetter, took over the bank. So I can't say we've never changed the name of the bank because they <laughs> did change it in 1883. Uh, and it stayed in a Campbell or Fetter uh, family uh, members mm-hmm. control up until about 1963. Um, then the first outside president took over. And in the mid-1970s, either a Campbell or a Fetter passed away who had a good chunk of stock, and they chose that it was time for them to liquidate their shares. At that point, my family uh, acquired a controlling interest in the bank, um, and my uh, father uh, was nearing the end of his uh, career or within 10 years, and my brother uh, went to the Kendallville office. And then in uh, 1988, I joined the uh, operation in the Goshen office there. So you've been a lifelong banker. I have. I started out in South Bend with some other banks and uh, then moved on over here. when there's Then the family will let you in. <laughs> you could say that. Or, or, uh, or, or I was summoned, uh, mm-hmm. if you'd like to refer to it. You know, it's interesting because it's a, you know, and, and, you know, I have a little bit of banking background for myself, but, but when we look at, at what you've done um, as Campbell and Fetter, you've stayed in the family, you've stayed privately owned, you've stayed community-based, and there are certain advantages for the customer and for the community in that. We, we like to believe there is. Um, certainly in this day and age, the uh, relationship banking, uh, there's a different niche for that. Um, there's a lot of technology available for a lot of people. Um, but when somebody has a problem, they like to know that there's somebody they can call and there's a face they can uh, associate that name with uh, in getting that problem solved. And, and I kind of like to joke, our organization is smaller, so it doesn't take very many phone calls to get to the top. Um, <laughs> But most problems, you know, it doesn't take very long to mm-hmm. figure out once you uh, ask the right questions. And, uh, um, you know, the money is the same color at every bank, uh, multicolored these days. Um, but uh, again, trying to find a solution for people's uh, needs um, that may not be uh, cookie cutter. Um, so sometimes you have to have a, a custom solution, and uh, that's an opportunity that we're able to provide for them. Well, my purpose in, in inviting you today um, you were part of the Sound of the Economy roundtable that we do here at the Chamber um, once a month. And it just so happened that we were able to talk about interest rates. It was the first time in some time that the Federal Reserve had raised its uh, its prime rate, uh, uh, 25 basis points or a quarter of a full point, if you will. And I thought your explanation for how this affects our everyday life was was really strong and just wanted to give our podcast listeners an opportunity to take advantage of of some of that expertise, if you will. So uh, let's peel back right to the very basics. When the Fed says it's raising its interest rate, essentially, what are they doing? 
So the, the Fed is controlling the rate that is paid back and forth between bankers. Um, but that translates into a couple of specific loans in the consumer market. So uh, home equity lines of credit are typically a variable rate loan. Um, so those move basically immediately. As soon as the Fed changes a quarter percent, those loan rates are going to change. Other loans that are related are typically car loans, um, second mortgages that have a fixed end of it. Um, those typically are tied also to those types of rates. Mm -hmm. So, and again, you look at the trend. If the trend of the Fed is moving up, those rates are going to trend upwards as well. Um, commercial loan rates uh, are tied to prime rate. Prime rate typically is 3% above the Fed's, Fed's funds rate. So prime rate was at three and a quarter. Now it's at three and a half because they went up a quarter percent. So that would typically affect things like equipment loans for businesses, business lines of credit that are also typically a variable rate, change daily, usually monthly. Um, and then the other side of it is the, um, the mortgages are not as much tied to the, what the Fed does, but to the bond market. And the bond market effectively is is controlled by the Fed because whatever the Fed says, the bond market follows. And typically, the bond market will pre-anticipate what the Fed is going to do. So mortgage rates typically get tied to what's called the 10-year Treasury rate. So again, our government has a little bit of a spending problem. So in order to fund that spending shortfall, they sell U.S. Treasury mm -hmm. bonds. And so those bonds are kind of what gets tied to the mortgage rates going forward each time. So that and that leads into the question that I had. The Fed has said, OK, we're going to do this. We may do. They've mentioned as many as six uh, hikes during the course of the year. Based on the reaction that everybody's had over this last couple of weeks, I'm not sure six is going to happen before the end of the year. But either way, um, what is the Fed thinking when they're looking at now saying, OK, we need to do this? Well, certainly the Fed, think in terms of they use the interest rate as a lever or like a gas pedal. Mm -hmm. So when they want to slow the economy down, they're going to push those interest rates up, which makes things more expensive to purchase and borrow money. So by making it more expensive, people are going to spend less money or borrow less money. And therefore, there's less demand for goods and services. So when the Fed wants to speed up the economy or get the gross domestic product to go up, they're going to lower those interest rates, which will then make things cheaper. We have been in such a long phase of cheap money that there, there's probably really definitely at least one, maybe two generations that really don't know what inflation is. Mm -hmm. um, but interest rates are also sometimes if you're buying a house, um, you're typically not doing it. Hey, I'm going to buy a house because interest rates are cheap. You're doing it due to a life event. You're finally got kicked out of your parents' basement. Uh, you're getting married. <laughs> Uh, your kids are, you're outgrowing your house. Uh, your kids have left. Your house is too big. Uh, divorces, house, need a new house. Uh, people have passed away, don't need as much house and, and, and going down. So those happen every so often. And you're really not saying, oh, I'm going to hurry up and sell because interest rates are low. or I'm going to hurry up and buy when interest rates are, are low. And, and most people, if you ask them, what's the current mortgage rate out there? They have a hard time telling you. But if you ask them what the price of gas is or the price of a gallon of milk, they know it right mm -hmm. now because they're doing that every single week. So, so the interest rates have an impact, um, but it's usually a delayed impact, though, too. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So the Fed, when they're looking at, well, inflation, which you know, mm -hmm. currently is pretty high, um, and they're looking at employment, they're looking at a number of other different factors. But essentially, we're also talking about liquidity, how much money is really out there. So I guess I would ask you that question on a national basis and on a local basis. How much money is really out there? 
Um, technically, it would be listed as a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> um, if you think in terms of looking at some big picture numbers, the uh, U.S. economy uh, pre-COVID essentially was about a $20 trillion economy. So we had two types of stimulus that went on. We had a fiscal stimulus where the Fed immediately lowered the Fed funds rate by 1% at that point in time. So that made money cheaper. Um, They injected money into uh, buying bonds to keep interest rates low. Um, So that making money cheap helped stimulate the economy. We also, though, had a, uh, that was the monetary policy, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. The fiscal policy was the federal government injected $5 trillion into the U.S. economy in about a 20-month window from April of 20 till December of 21 uh, via stimulus money, uh, paycheck protection program money to businesses, to advance child care tax credit money. So that was a 25% increase in the amount of money available for the U.S. economy. So the definition of uh, inflation is too many dollars chasing too few of goods. So most businesses of any kind would be hard-pressed to increase their production 25%. On top of that, though, they also had a reduction in the available labor to produce that extra. Mm -hmm. So the combination of that accelerated the decrease in goods available and accelerated the demand for goods available so that that created quite the gap. And again, people, it was free money. So it's not costing me anything to buy this or that. So the demand was incredibly high. People were at home. They had plenty Mm -hmm. of time to shop, look for things or decide, hey, my house needs upgrades and things of that nature. You've already noted that, uh, you know, things, it's a delayed impact. So we've not seen a lot with this other than a lot of headlines and talking heads get some things to talk about like us right here. But, you know, we, we get this one raise. Now, if we get two or three more, are we going to start seeing more significant impact, do you feel? Well, that's a, if I could answer that question, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. With, uh, uh, we would be on a nationwide tour. Yeah, you'd be next to the oligarchs. Yeah, yeah. good. Well, hopefully not that. <laughs> um, but certainly, you know, um, the Fed has typically moved too slow both ways. So in terms of raising rates or stopping the raise of the rates and then starting to decline rates. So, uh, you know, the, the, the impact is going to vary across different areas of the economy. But the lag effect can be really anywhere from 8 to 20 months on some of this stuff. I'm going to ask you to put your trusted advisor hat on for both business and for consumer or for personal. Um, from a business aspect, when you're sitting down and talking with your clients now, when we're looking at the impact that we're going to have with interest rates rising over the next two, three, four months, what are you asking your business people to look at in particular? Well, it's a, it's a variety. I mean, we're certainly we're looking at what do they have in the way of reserves mm-hmm. also, because um, no matter what type of loan you might be doing for a business or what kind of expansion a business is doing, even if they have the cash, you you have to look out, you know, an 18 to 36 month time horizon because you purchase a piece of equipment, you want to put up a new building. There, there's a long period of time before those durable capital goods are put to service. So you're not doing it just for a 12 month opportunity. Typically, your equipment has lives of five to seven years. So you're looking over a five to seven year horizon as far as the demand, the usefulness, the efficiency. Um, the ability of people available to run the equipment. Um, so you, you don't just look at a very short-term window. You have to look out a little farther. Did we learn lessons from 2008, 2009 that you think uh, either been 
applied in some cases today or that are being ignored today, or is it a combination of both? It's probably a combination of both. One of the most dangerous phrases in economics is, it's different this time. <laughs> um, certainly when they talk about, you know, currently in the last uh, week to 10 days, uh, we've seen what some called an inversion of the yield curve. And in simple terms, normally the yield curve is the shortest term rates would be lower and the longer term rates would be higher. So it slopes upward. So an inversion is when the shorter term rates are higher than the longer term rates. Uh, and that's usually mostly focused on the two-year compared to the 10-year treasury. So we're not quite 100% to that inversion yet, but we're the three, the five, and the seven are all higher than the 10-year today as we sit here. Um, when the, um, uh, I guess the movement on those uh, stays inverted for a longer period of time, mm -hmm. that would be a sign of a recession likely to come. But again, it could be anywhere from, they say, three months to 23 months. So the longer you go out on some of those things, the more difficult it is to say what actually caused it. Um, I, I think the challenge in any running any business or even your own household is, is, again, not putting yourself at the maximum leverage perspective, too. So consumer-wise, um, someone comes in to talk to trusted advisor Tim Doyle. Uh, what should I pay attention to other than turn the news off uh, in the evening? But what should I pay attention to over these next couple of months? They're going to best protect me, my household, my family. Well, again, every household is different. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, certainly if the household, you know, uh, is thinking in terms of a budget and what I have available for expending, they have certain funds available for a household, for, for the house itself, for vehicles, and then just general living expenses. Certainly the lower their fixed monthly payment level, the more cushion that they personally have. Mm -hmm. Um I, th I think they need to pay attention. I, most people have a lot of savings right now because the government was dispersing a lot of free money. As And in this area, people have been working hard, very hard, mm -hmm. and they've been making more money than ever. Um, so uh, deposits in local banks are higher than they've ever been. They've grown 22%, 15% year over year. Um, and the loan totals in the banks have stayed stable. So that tells me people are being smart with their money. Um, so the, and again, the, right now with the lack of durable goods available, hard to get appliances, hard to get cars, hard to get houses, uh, they've kind of forced to save it. When we look at consumer housing, of course, is, is the largest, most of us, it's the, it's the largest uh, investment that we'll make. Um, one of my fears right now is we're getting almost into an imperfect storm. Money's going to get a little more expensive. Supplies are almost non-existent. The housing market is exceptionally tight trying to find a new house if you do sell the one you have or whatever. Is there a point where that's going to be something we need to watch carefully? Yeah, last week. Um, <laughs> it, it has been happening over the last 12 months. It didn't okay. just happen this week. Um, there's new terms that I've learned after you know 30 years of extending mortgages, um, you know, appraisal gap addendum contracts to a purchase agreement. Um, where you're bidding over the asking price of the house. Um, we have some really great realtors in our area. And, and they're looking at what the property is selling for historically and saying, okay, square footage, lot size, location. Hey, this, your house should be in this ballpark. Historically, we would sell for about 95% of the listing price. Think in the, our area, state of Indiana, um, you know, it comes in at like 99.8 right now. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure where that 0.2% is that hasn't sold for the listing price, but it's probably some very, very high end properties. 
normal properties are selling above the list price. Um, and those are the ones that get listed by the realtors. So there's many not going through realtors right now. Um, so, you know, again, it's too many dollars chasing too few properties. So we have 15% housing price increase year over year, and we are in a historical 2 to 3% market for that. So when you're going up five times the historical rate, things are going to come back to the mean at some point. Doesn't mean the prices will necessarily drop, but you're not going to continue to see this price increase. And, and this does remind me a little bit of the 05 to 07 range when prices were just going up and people were borrowing, you know, speculation on properties and then until it all came crashing down from 07 to 08. So certainly some things to watch. Tim, one final question is, you know, it's we have to make sure that we don't make too much of it. Uh, but we also don't want to make too little of it. Where's a happy medium as people look at news accounts for interest rate rise, et cetera, et cetera? Where's a happy medium to where, you know, you're going to be able to go to sleep at night? Well, I guess that depends on whether you're borrowing the money or you're investing the money with the <laughs> bank. So, you know, as a banker, we, we're never going to make everybody happy. Um, yeah. The borrowers are either happy or the depositors are either happy. Um, the Fed has indicated in historically what they call a terminal rate or where they call the equilibrium rate where we're neither encouraging the economy to grow or we're not, or neither restricting the economy to grow is Fed funds rate at about two and a half percent. So we're at a half percent right now. So that would indicate we need to go up another 2% to get there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we actually get there. I think the economy is going to slow a lot faster than uh, they believe it will. Uh, because again, we've taken away the uh, government putting money in the economy. And at the same time, we're raising interest rates. We have international strife going on. Uh, so I, I, I would tell you by the end of this year, I think the Fed's going to maybe have to look at their projection of interest rates, but it would not surprise me to see the Fed get us to about one and a half at the end of this year or one and a quarter, and they might have to pause a little bit at that point in time. Tim, I appreciate you taking time for a conversation with us. My guess is it's not going to be the last conversation you have about this subject with clients, business people, and everyone else. Probably not. The, uh, the interesting part when people ask about interest rates is that, you know, I always respond, well, they're going to change um, <laughs> and, and try to leave it at that. Uh, but certainly the one thing that I think is, is, is if people kind of just don't panic and mm -hmm. realize that, hey, things are going to move one to two percent, um, probably not going to be the end of the world. Pretty good advice. Our thanks to Tim Doyle of Campbell and Fetter Bank. Sound of the Economy is a presentation of the Goshen Chamber of Commerce. Catch Sound of the Economy, Sound of Success, Sound of Service, and Sounds Around Town at soundsofgoshen.com. Dot com. I'm your host, Vince Turner.